I just recorded like 30 minutes of what I thought was really good talking about basketball and bets and stuff. And I did it using my AirPods as my headset and because I still haven't gotten my new microphone. And then I went to go edit it and it sounded horrible. So I'm going to leave it up because I wanted to get the discussion out there. But please bear with me for this 30 minutes or so, however long it ends up being. Um, it's not. It doesn't sound good. So if you want to listen to the content, the content is still great and it's there. The quality is piss poor. So thank you for putting up with it and it will be changed soon. Hello and welcome back to The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Tonight's episode is just me, myself, and I again. It is 11 o'clock. Sunday night after the Game 7 Mavericks-Phoenix. Absolute smacking by the Mavericks. Um, I didn't get anyone to come jump on the pod with me. So I'm just going to run through some things I'm thinking about, some of my NBA takes. I'm going to do this episode as kind of two parts. What I'm going to do is just run through a bunch of my just general NBA takes and what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling. Uh, And then we'll take a quick break and then talk bets for the Conference Finals series and how approaching the game ones. So yeah, like I said, it's 11 o'clock, 11.01, it just came up. Uh, the, the Suns just got absolutely smacked by the Mavericks. The, what I wrote down was the start of Luka's reign coincides with the end of CP3s. So Luka and the Mavs, they're about to go play the Warriors. Mavs are pretty locked in right now. They kind of play a similar style to the Warriors in that they shoot a lot of threes but they do it very differently. Dallas hunts matchups and initiates everything from a matchup pick and roll, penetrate, and create or kick. They have the three guys who can do that, Luka, Dinwiddie, Brunson. Uh, the Warriors are ball movement, off-ball screens, backslashes on the baseline with a few high-volume and high-efficiency shooters. So we will see which pace and space team and style works out the best. It should make for a very interesting series. Uh, I love the way the Mavs are playing right now, and I don't love the way the Warriors are playing right now, which will likely factor in how I handicap the next series, which I will discuss in the next segment. But you got to think the Warriors have been here before and uh, will have a few tricks up their sleeve and play the experience. And they're also going to have home court advantage, which we know for the Warriors. Being in Chase Center is a huge, huge advantage for them. What I wrote for the Phoenix is the sun has set in Phoenix. I'm worried for CP3 that this is a real thorn in his career. I know we said it last year, but this felt like the year, and you don't get many of those, let alone three in a row. For Aiton, who knows if he'll be back. I want to quickly explain the Chris Paul contract situation. He has a big reduction uh, in his salary next season. He turned down that $44 million player option. Took $31 million this season and took a reduction to $23 million for next season before it goes back up. Um, They signed for four years, but the second year was noticeably cheaper so that the Suns could re-sign their other guys and not get hammered on the tax. Sarver's a notoriously cheap owner, so it's honestly on him to hold up his end of the bargain. We'll see if he does it. Um, Crazy things have happened in the NBA, so... I do ultimately think Aiton is resigned and the band is back together, but we'll see. Uh, I'm personally also not worried about Aiton as a player. He's been really improving every year. 
He's been solid in the playoffs. Uh, I don't think he was the problem this year. He's switchable and doesn't get played off the court. He did have some foul trouble, but I think given the situation of having a winning team, you pay him now and you worry about it later. Like, am I calling Aiden a $30 million a year player? No, but situationally, I think you pay him the like a hundred plus million over four, maybe five for 120, and you just get it done with because you can't replace him given the guys who are available and the NBA salary cap rules. So you just pay him, keep the band back together, they're winning, give them another chance or two seasons to get over the hump, and uh. Let's not forget they did invest a number one pick in him. So I don't think they're letting Aiton walk. Now that I talked this out a bit and remembering that he's a number one pick, I'm even more convinced Aiton is back. We'll see. Like I said, crazy things happen in the NBA. But if you think about the rest of the West, even if Phoenix does bring back the band, the Nuggets are getting healthy, the Clippers are getting healthy, and the Clippers really rounded out the rest of their roster with the Norm Powell and Covington acquisitions. The Grizzlies have options to improve big this offseason. We'll see if they do anything major. But it's just going to be hard to imagine the Suns having as open as a West as they did this year. The Warriors, too. They're going to have all their guys back next season. So I think it's just going to be tough. Like I said, I think the Sun might be setting in Phoenix. Jason Kidd, most underrated coach in the league. Most improved coach. Did you guys see the clip of him calling out the defensive rotations and screaming to Finney Smith? I mean, it's like Jay Kidd is still on the court. I did not expect this, but I'm buying into him just as much as the Mavs have seen too. He seems like an amazing coach. Uh, speaking about amazing coaches, Ime. He might become the first head coach to win his first season coaching the team since uh, Nick Nurse did it like three years ago with Kawhi and the Raptors. Oh, I guess Jay Kidd could be doing it in his first year as well. It's crazy how many good coaches we have. And now we have Ime versus Spo and Kidd versus Kerr coming up. Like, that's an awesome angle for the conference finals. If you want to just talk about it from a coaching perspective, I know Austin will have something to say about it for sure the next time I talk to him. Uh, let's talk about Celtics Bucks, or as I've been saying all series, C's B's. That was my favorite playoff series in a long time, probably since a LeBron won. I'm not going to go into specifics. Seven games, big swings, close games. The only thing we were missing was perfect health with Middleton and Rob Williams playing at all of them. But wishing for perfect health in the NBA is an unrealistic goal. And if you know me in my personal life and some of my struggles, you could say I'm learning this about my own life too and the NBA simultaneously. Giannis is the best player in the world. He is the best player I've seen since LeBron, and he was on full display the entire series. Sometimes when you are that indestructible, like physically, having that physicality is better than skill. And then you add on the component of being so coachable and developing so much and learning how to use your frame and your build perfectly to be a force on both ends of the court to be so calm in the clutch, it's very LeBron-like. And please don't take this as me saying Giannis is not skilled. He is incredibly skilled. He's just not as skilled as like a Steph Curry with the ball or shooting or his off-ball movement. But Giannis is definitely better than Steph. That's the point I'm making. At this level of greatness, 
give me the physicality first player. Giannis is kind of like the Amazon stock right now. It's pricey, but it's still a pretty safe investment. Giannis is that combination of greatness, durability, youth, drive. It's going to put him in the conversation for the greatest of all time. I won't be the one saying he's better than LeBron or MJ, but the people who are just getting into basketball now will perceive Giannis as the best to ever lace them up. The reason? They simply can't envision someone actually being better. The other stock I'm buying right now, and this stock is very expensive, but I don't care. I'm buying it because it's still a really safe investment. Jokic, knock on wood, but the way he plays lends itself to low injury risk and ability to age well for the next 10 plus years. Jokic and Giannis are not done getting MVPs. Luka will get his name in there too, but I think this is going to be a Giannis, Jokic, and Luka league for the future. Three foreigners. Because I'm projecting three foreigners to be the best players in the world over the next decade, let me give you guys my LeBron versus MJ take because it kind of fits in contextually. My statement has always been, MJ's six rings cannot be compared to bronze four because the league is way more global. I like to say, how many more gold medals would Simone Biles or Michael Phelps have if they only competed against Americans? I feel like they'd still be winning golds. The level of competition MJ faced versus LeBron faced is simply not the same. Now, the reason for that may be because of how good MJ was and that he inspired people around the world to pick up the basketball and put in the work and love the game. Although Giannis, I think it's funny, credits Allen Iverson as the reason he started playing. I'm biased in the LeBron versus Jordan debate. Like I said, I watched LeBron in when I was falling in love with the game and learning a lot about it. So simply, I can't imagine someone actually being better than LeBron. Um, so that will always kind of bias me to it. I've also named my dog LeBron. Uh, and if you know me, I've also am convinced that my next one in the next three years or so will be Giannis. And again, I think it's a pretty safe investment in that. Thing I'll miss most from the Bucks this season is Giannis calling out Grayson Allen's name. The accent is just amazing. Grayson. Grayson. <laughs> I really hope these two play together next season so we just get more of those clips. Celtics. Let me start off by saying I don't know if these Celtics takes are because I recently moved to Boston or I'm just happening to see things pretty clearly. But historically, the Boston Celtics and kind of all Boston teams have been really hard to root for or actually easy to root against. Whether it was the Bird and McHale years where they were apparently real talkers and uh, real physical with their play. I don't know. I wasn't a basketball fan that back then. But in my early years, it was Paul Pierce and KG. And it was always really easy to root against Pierce. I was also a Nets fan, so they were in the same conference. So I was always very anti-Boston. But now this Boston team is incredibly likable. I would say the only thing that you could pick out that you'd say, oh, this is what I don't like about the Celtics, is that Marcus Smart flops. But contextually, that's so small in the fact that, like, the Boston Celtics defensive unit is the most fun thing to watch in the NBA right now. It's like there's one thing I could watch and just basketball film. I would say, all right, let me just see the Celtics play defense. 
It's probably the most fun thing to watch since the Warriors were incredible and so fluid on offense in, during their reign. The Celtics defense is the most fun unit to watch. Tatum leads the league or leads that team in likability. I love Tatum. I mean, what is there not to like? Are we still saying that he's 19 years old? He's actually, what, like 24? He's so good. He's so competitive. Uh, clutch. Seems to be great on and off the court. Uh, he's giving me real Kevin Durant vibes with his play, uh, with his swagger, and also, like I said the last episode with Eric, with his tattoos seeping out of his jersey, which I low-key love. Um, see, the rest of the Celtics, Horford's career resurgence, likable. Jalen Brown, likable. And I think this actually expands to the rest of the Boston sports teams right now. I think we might just be in the era of likable Boston sports teams. I think everyone's kind of rooting for Mac Jones and Belichick to be a fun combination that grows well together. I know the Red Sox are having a really tough season or start to the year this year, but last season they overperformed and were really, really likable. They were like a fan favorite or like uh, the fans – how do I say this? The Boston Red Sox fans that I knew were way more invested in that team than they thought they would be, and they felt a lot more connected to the Red Sox last year than the years past. Uh, they said it was the most likable team since, like, the Manny and Pedro and Poppy days. So Red Sox seem to be likable. I'm not a baseball guy. Bruins, people always love the Bruins. Mac Jones and the Belichick combo, and then you have this Emei, Tatum, and Brown combo. It's really just a fun time to be a Boston sports fan. So good timing on me moving here. My other Celtics take is um, the Derek White trade is going to be a good trade in the end. They gave up a lot to get him in a first-round pick and a pick swap, I think, and Josh Richardson, who played really well once he went to the Spurs. But I think the Derek White trade, he was super clutch in some of these games. He plays a good role for this team. He lets the team play the same way when one of their, like, Jalen Brown or Marcus Marcos off the court because he could kind of play similar to either of them for, like, a four- or five-minute stretch. No, he's not as good as either of them individually, but he has a skill set that lends itself to be able to do similar things situationally. Um, If they win the title, which I think they're going to, it'll always be perceived as a good trade. Uh, and also we'll see, he's also young. And so we'll see how long he stays with this group, but in the absence of, uh, time Lord in some of these games, it was actually Derek white who played the most like increase in minutes from his normal average because the Celtics went a little bit smaller and he filled the role perfectly. Um, other Celtics takes, I guess. Yeah. Brad Stevens seems to be a good GM, even though he gave up, you know, two first, a first round pick for Horford and a first round pick for White. And those seemed like overpays in the moment. They both paid off. So maybe we just don't question Brad in the same way that we don't question Belichick. I think that wraps up my Celtics takes. And I've now discussed all four teams that played in the game sevens today. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I will quickly discuss how I'm going to be betting the start of the conference finals.
Okay, welcome back. Let's talk conference finals. We'll start with Eastern Conference Finals since that game is first. Boston Celtics versus Miami Heat. This is the series that I really wanted to get because I think the Celtics match up so well against the Heat. And I knew the price would be relatively fair. It came out as Boston minus 175 in the series. And I immediately jumped on it, putting three and a half units to win two. If you know me and my bets, three to 3.5 units is my max exposure. So like I said, this is the series I was hoping to get. And when we get it at reasonable odds, I jumped on it for max exposure. Give me the Celtics. I'm not playing it at any minus 1.5 series spread, or I'm not playing it as an exact result of a five-game or six-game series. Just give me the Celtics. This is the, those one of those situations where me and Eric say, just lay the juice and take the line you want. Lay the minus 175. Give me the Celtics. The only thing that I was thinking about this series angle was playing them after game one. I think there's a pretty good chance the Heat do win game one simply because the Celtics are coming off a 36-hour turnaround uh, from that seven-game series. So they will be the less-rested team going on the road to play in Miami. Uh, Miami's not that great of a home court, but they do have to travel and play again Tuesday night after playing Sunday afternoon. So it's a really quick turnaround time. Uh, Celtics are a young team, so I don't think it should affect them too much. But if you think about this from the stance of like maybe the Heat are more ready for game one and they take game one, you would get a much better Celtics series price after game one. You'd probably get them at around like even odds or maybe like plus 110 on the series if they went down a one. But I'm just, you know, if they did happen to win game one, they'd be in a really strong place for the series and you would never get this minus 175 again. You wouldn't even get it at 1-1 because then be sealing home court and heading back to Boston. So I'm laying it right now. And I'm just saying, give me the Celtics minus 175. Like I said, 3.5 units to win two. Going into game one, the original total was 206. It's been bet down to 205.5. What I did was I jumped on the team total under of the Miami Heat. It was 104. Uh, like I said, it was 206, and they were 1.5 favorite. So it was uh, 104 to 102.5 was the original. It was 206.5, I think, was the original total. So it was a 104 to 102.5. And I jumped on the under for the Miami Heat. The reason why I love doing this is, one, you're backing the defense and the Boston defense that I absolutely love. I think this is the best defense, like I said earlier, most fun defense to watch, the most fun unit to watch, the best unit that we've seen in a long time. They play defense on a string. Um, They're incredible. There was one play today where uh, um, Derek White was caught underneath the screen and Horford recognized it. So Horford immediately bailed out to the three-point line and jumped out on Derek White's man, who shot a three. And then Derek White immediately crashed for the rebound and got the defensive board and the miss. And he got under Bobby Portis and got the rebound, which was a big play. Uh, It was like when they were taking their third-quarter lead. Uh, And you could just see, like, they didn't have to talk, and they communicated that perfectly. So uh, give me that defense. And because you because the Heat are the favorite in the game, they're a 
1.5 point favorite, you get slightly more than half of the game total by taking just the under on the heat. Uh, like we also saw with the Celtics, they shoot a ton of threes. So I think, you know, they might go over their team total. I feel very confident in the Celtic, in the heat going under 104. So I laid 2.2 units to win two. Another pretty big bet for me. But that's my main angle going into this game. That is my best bet for this game one is the Miami Heat team total under 104. Uh, I think we are not going to see Duncan Robinson, at least in game one. Maybe later in the series if the Heat shooting is really, really struggling. But I think Spolstra wants to keep wing defenders out there. Coaches make decisions based on defense. That's something that you got to learn. So that's why Duncan Robinson hasn't really been out there. He's Miami's best floor spacer. So without him, the Miami Heat aren't the best shooting team like they were statistically in the regular season when Duncan Robinson was playing 28 minutes and he was their best three-point shooter. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So he really inflated the numbers. So without Duncan Robinson, the Heat are not the same shooting team that they were. Um, So give me their under for their team total. I think it's an awesome, awesome bet. Game one Wednesday night will be Dallas Mavs versus Warriors. Uh, Like I said earlier, Mavs are playing really good, tight basketball right now. Warriors are playing a little sloppy and loose. So that might be contextually because the Warriors were missing their coach. They were up 3-1 in the series. The Grizzlies were, were without John Morant. So the Warriors felt like they could get away with one. Whatever it is, it's the NBA playoffs, and I didn't like to see that. And I loved to see the way that the Mavericks were playing. So this game is going to be in Chase Center, which is really hard to bet against the Warriors in Chase Center. The minus 5.5 favored for the Warriors now. Um, And the series price is Mavs 2-1, Golden State minus 250. My initial reaction to that is it's just so hard to bet this series. The series is going to look a lot like the Phoenix Mavericks series where the games aren't close. There's going to be so much shot variance in the amount of three-point volume. So the chances that these games stay close is low. So I will not be playing the total, the over-under 215. Again, I would lean under because these these teams are paced slowly, but the volume of the threes is terrifying, and it could just shoot over if they make you know too many threes. Same with the spread. If you like the Mavs, I would lay the money line. If you like the Warriors, I would lay the 5.5 because if the Warriors win, I don't think it's going to be closer than a five-point game. Uh, that would be my angle. Honestly, for, for game one, I'll probably play the Warriors minus 5.5, having more rest being in chase center. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm going to be laying the five point five. Let me see the, the early splits right now. Show fifty two percent of the bets on the Warriors, but sixty four percent of the money. Yeah, that's a big difference. That indicates that sharps are on Golden State early. So I'm going to lay it now. Uh, Warriors minus five point five home against the Dallas Mavericks for Game One will be something that I'm on. I'm not scared of laying the points, like I said, because the Mavericks are going to shoot so many threes um, that if they make them, they have a real chance of winning this game. If they miss them, it could be a real ugly 20-point game. It could look a lot like it did tonight, but reversed. 
or it could look a lot like it did tonight, but again. So we'll see what wins, but I'm going to take the home team. You guys know I love home teams. So the three bets that I'm on right now are Celtics minus 175 for the series, Heat under 104 team total game one, and Golden State Warriors minus 5.5 game one as well. Nothing on the um, Warriors-Mavericks series spread. I'd like to see at least one game before commenting on that. Um, All right, I'm going to edit this and put this up there now, and I will be back to talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back.